Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Gary Kent. Friends, I want to invite the Lord to be with us today. So could I invite you just to bow your heads again and we ask him to be with us in a special way. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a privilege for us to worship you today as the great creator God and we are reminded of your creatorship every Sabbath. And Lord, as we come before you to praise you, to worship you and to honor you, we invite your presence to be here with us. Bless us and give each one of us a rich Sabbath day's blessing for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, we were filming a new television series uh, called The Entertainment Capital. And we were filming in Los Angeles. One of the programs was entitled Hollywood and the Glamour World. We all want to be at Hollywood. Wouldn't it be great to be a movie star? All the glamour, all their popularity and attention. Well, I'm not so sure. But anyway, as part of the program, we... And let me make sure I've got some, some power here. Have I got... As part of the program, we filmed on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. Now, this is some shopping centre. Rodeo Drive Shopping Centre. This is a glamorous place. And this is where the, the rich and the famous come to do their shopping. Really is like stepping in to another world. Rodeo Drive. Here you see all the big brand names. They're all here one after another as you, as you walk down the street. And it's also where many of the celebrities come to do their shopping. Here they spend up big. And uh, the rich and the famous come here. Now, there are a few exceptions. Here's one that is neither rich nor famous. But I want to tell you about this car. Because as I stood there on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills, I noticed that virtually every tourist that came down the road stopped to have their picture taken beside this car. And I wondered why. Why does everybody stop? Then I discovered, as I asked around, that this car is a Bugatti. You know, until just recently, I'd never heard of a Bugatti. Well, a Bugatti, let me tell you, is a marvelous, marvelous car. Let me tell you a little about a Bugatti. The Bugatti was founded in France in 1909. It's now owned by VW, Volkswagen. It's the world's fastest and most expensive car. If you wanted to drive that car and own it, you would have to shell out $2.7 million. So no wonder everybody wanted to be filmed standing beside the Bugatti. 
Isn't it amazing how we are preoccupied, infatuated by brand names? We've got to be seen with the right brand of whatever it is. And these brands are worldwide. It doesn't matter where you go. You see the famous brand names. And uh, we look for those brand names when we go shopping. Isn't that right? We want brand names. It's starting with the shoes. We've got to have the right sort of shoes. Then when we're looking for a dress or a suit, it's got to be the, it's got to be the right one. It's got to have the right, the right label, the right tag. And uh, so we dress in the right brand. And then even, you know, even when it comes to our watches, we've got to have the right watch on our, on our wrists. And so we are bombarded by advertising. You know, friends, the average person sees or hears 3,000 advertising messages every day. Every day. And you'll find advertising just about wherever you go today. You'll find advertising. It's, I notice they put them now on the overpasses. You just can't avoid it. Then you see it even... There's no privacy anymore, is there? Go to a public toilet on the back of the door... There's advertising. There's just no escape. And even I've heard on golf courses, you know when you hit your ball and it goes into the cup? The bottom of the cup, there's advertising. (laughs) So when you reach in and pull out your golf ball, you are getting a dose of advertising. Even on our shopper dockets now, there's advertising. There is no escape from advertising. You know, friends, the average child, the average child watches 100 commercials a day. About 40,000 commercials a year. By the time we are 65, we will have watched 2 million commercials. 2 million commercials. And you know now the advertisers are starting to target children's self-esteem. You see, we become aware of the celebrities who drive the Bugatti, who wear the, I don't know, Christian Dior or whatever it is, outfits. And we are sold this message over and over again every day. That if you want to find happiness, if you want to find acceptance, if you want to find popularity, if you want to find fulfillment in life, then you've got to get the right car. You've got to have the right tie on. You've got to have the right watch. And if you don't, there is no chance of you ever finding happiness and fulfillment. That's the message every ad tells you, doesn't it? If you want to be happy, have this. If you want to be strong, eat this brand of food and on and on it it, it goes. And so we are conditioned. This affects us. It affects how we feel about ourselves. We develop an image 
about ourselves. Self-esteem becomes dependent on the things we think we need to have. And so the media every day, thousands and thousands of times, communicates this concept to us. And we become conditioned to believe that in order to have these things, to have happiness, we've got to be like the celebrities. We've got to shop at their shopping center on Rodeo Drive. We've got to have this brand or that brand. And so, friends, fulfillment, acceptance, we believe, we are conditioned to think we must have the things that are advertised so we look like the celebrity media images. All sounds okay. Except that it can lead people lead to people feeling frustrated if you can't hopeless lonely out of control powerless so these commercials that we are watching this bombardment by the media it has an effect on us it has an effect on, on the way we view the world. It affects the way we view ourselves. Even our own self-worth. Let me give you an example. Research shows a correlation between sexual image, imagery in children's ads and an increase in eating disorders among girls. So what we are talking about, all of a sudden takes on a serious tone. Because what we are discussing, this bombardment by the media, can have serious consequences. And it can cause people to harm themselves. Now, this may sound strange, but you know, friends, one in ten people self-harm by taking tablets, Starving, cutting, burning, piercing, or swallowing objects. It's a response to the situation in which they find themselves. This helplessness, this desire to, to gain control of their own selves, their own situation. Let me share some facts with you. 70% of adolescent girls have body dissatisfaction and low self-image today. 70%. You see, friends, they are feeding on those commercial images that we see in the media, where we see the celebrities stick thin. Often those images have been photoshopped. But the, the poor child... Teenager looking at that magazine cover doesn't realize that. And they think that if you want to be like the celebrities, then you've got to look as thin as they do. 70%. Isn't that frightening? This is our society. Eating disorders are the third most common chronic illness for young females. 
Eating disorders are the leading cause of mental disability for young females. 9% of the population has an eating disorder. You know, that's nearly 1 in 10. It's frightening. Frightening. One in five individuals with anorexia die prematurely. 10% of sufferers are males. It's a serious issue. Another form of self-harm is cutting. Have you ever heard of such a such a a, a, a situation. Cutting is a type of self-injury. It's the way some people deal with emotional pain, anger, and frustration. And I've wondered, why would anybody do that to themselves? Because. Do you want to know why? Because I'm fat. Because I'm worthless. Because you say you'll help, but then you don't. Because everyone leaves. Because it's the only way to cope. Imagine. It's the only way that some people can cope with their situation. Because no one loves me. Because everyone forgets me. Because the nightmares are real. Friends, the real world is not on the covers of magazines. Because waking up is a disappointment. Because I don't deserve to live. Cutting is not a new problem. People have been cutting themselves for a long, long time. If you have your Bibles... Turn with me to Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 5. And we are going to start reading at verse 1. Mark's Gospel, the fifth chapter. And uh, let's start here at verse 1. All right. Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs. A man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains. Let's have a look at verse 4. Not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. Verse 5, and always, you notice that? And always, when? Night and day. Always, all the time, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and what? Cutting himself. With stones. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, 
Son of the Most High God, I implore you, I implore you by God, what that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding nearby. And all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once... Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, those who fed the swine fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And they came out to see what it was that happened. Verse 15, then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid and they were afraid and those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go to your home, go to your friends, go home to your friends, and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And all marveled. Here he is. As Jesus gets out of the boat, imagine the frightening experience. He's confronted by this wild, unkept, so-called madman. He had his dwelling, the Bible said, among the tombs. He lived among the dead. That's where he felt most comfortable. Among the dead. He was alive, but he was not living. He was like a dead man walking. No hope, no companionship, alone, alone with his own tormented mind, fighting his demons. Dead man walking. And then the Bible tells us here in in chapter 5 of Mark and verse 5, 
crying out and cutting himself with stones. You see, friends, there were no razor blades in his days. And so he used stones to cut himself. He listened to those tormenting voices in his head, telling him to do terrible, harmful things to himself. Mark tells us, and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. He just ripped them apart. Why? Because he himself was ripped apart. And he cut himself because he himself was cut. Friends, can you imagine the the torment, the pain that this man was experiencing? His pain was not in the cutting. His pain went far deeper than that. Anguish. And then Jesus comes and Jesus asks him, What is your name? What is your name? And he answers and says, My name is Legion. Legion? I can't imagine that that's the name his mother gave him. That's not the name his mother chose for him. What does Legion mean? Many. Many. He called himself Legion because he had a lot of names inside of him. Horrible names that that he'd given himself. Perhaps names like crazy, psycho, loser. Friends, what about us? What names do we give ourselves? Stupid, fat, ugly, dumb, loser. What about sad, hurt, depressed? How many of us are doing ourselves harm? On the inside. How many of us are punishing ourselves because we can't measure up to some cultural ideal or someone else's expectations? Or because someone has hurt us, someone has said something that that just cuts so deep. We read on in Mark chapter 5. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him. So the people from the city, the owners of the the herd of swine, come up to see what they've lost 2,000 of of their herd. You can imagine the commotion. And so they come up to investigate. 
They've lost a fortune. What's happened? And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. So they were told the story. They were told exactly what happened by those who were eyewitnesses. They noticed their response. And then they began to plead with him to depart, to leave the region, get away from here. Isn't it ironic? A miracle has taken place. This cutter, this mad man who harmed himself, this man who lived amongst the tombs, he had been healed. The most wonderful thing had happened. But they said, please leave Jesus. We don't want you around here. They were more concerned with the pigs than they were with the man. They came to Jesus and they saw the one that had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And what was their response? They were afraid. They were afraid. What of? What were they afraid of? They were more comfortable with the unclean spirits than they were with the man's sanity. This man in the Bible, he carried a lot of pain. A lot of pain inside of himself. But you know what, friends? Jesus took it away. And you know what? Jesus gave him a new name. It wasn't stupid, crazy, dumb. Jesus gave him a new name. And friends, I want to ask you this afternoon. What names do you have for yourself? Whatever it is, whatever it is, Jesus can change your name. He can give you a new start, a new life. You see, friends, to Jesus, you are special. You are his son. You are his daughter. He doesn't care if you don't look like one of those celebrities on the cover of the magazines. He doesn't care whether you're wearing an Amiga watch or not. He doesn't care whether you're driving a Bugatti. He loves you just as you are. And you mean everything to him. In fact, my friend, if you were the only person on this planet who had sinned, the only one, if you were the only sinner in the entire history of planet Earth, 
Do you know that Jesus would still have come and died on Calvary's cross? Just for you. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't want to spend eternity without you. He wants you in heaven with him. You, my friend, are special to Jesus. Just as you are. And so whatever names you've given yourself, or whatever names others have given you, It doesn't matter because Jesus has a new name for you. And so, my friend, whatever pain you are carrying, whatever instruments you are using to harm yourself, whether it be drugs, alcohol, food, Jesus wants to change your life. Jesus wants to change your life. Jesus can change your name. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that our Savior is a life changer. And no matter who we are, no matter how we look, no matter what we've done, no matter what we call ourselves, Jesus loves us. He wants to change us. He wants to spend eternity with us. Father, I know there are people here today who are experiencing pain deep inside. There are those of us here, Lord, who are struggling with addictions that we think may help us overcome this pain, but Lord, they're only complicating our lives and making matters worse. Father, you know who we are. Come into our lives, Lord. Give us a new name and change us. Lord, you suffered on the cross for us. And there's no need for us to suffer now. Lord, take us and make us whole again. Bless us. Care for us. Make, you, make your face shine upon us. And give us your peace. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. May God bless you. This message was made available by Fountain in the City. For more resources like this, visit fountaininthecity.com.au. I was once a sinner, but I came pardoned to receive from my Lord. This was freely given, and I found that he always kept his word. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. And it's
mine. Yes, it's mine. Yes, it's mine. And the white robed angels sing the story. The sinner has come home, for there's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. And it's mine. Yes, it's mine. Yes, it's mine. With my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven. Saved by grace, oh, the joy that came to my soul. Now I am forgiven, and I know by the blood I am made whole. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. And it's mine. Yes, it's mine. Yes, it's mine. And the white robed angels sing the story. A sinner has come home, has come home, for there's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine, and it's mine, yes, it's mine, yes, it's mine. With my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven. Harold sang, There's a New Name. Coming up next, Marlita Fong will be singing, Write Them on My Heart. And after that, the cathedrals will be singing, Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. You have written what you want from me in stone. A reflection of your character, O Lord. So I try to keep your loss without regret But I'm easily distracted and forget So write them on my heart Seal them in my mind The beauty of your love and grace combined Tablets of my heart 
lovely your commandments are, and write them on the tablets of my heart. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart, my heart since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll, billows roll since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus, since Jesus, since Jesus, since Jesus came into my heart, my heart, I shall go there to dwell in that city I know, since Jesus came into my heart. And I'm happy, so happy as onward I go, since Jesus came into my heart, my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy o'er my soul, like the sea billows roll, since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul, like the sea billows roll, billows roll, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul, like the sea billows roll, billows roll, since Jesus came into my heart. Hello, my name is Dr Kylie Smith. I'm an environmental educator. Thank you so much for joining me today. In this program, I'm going to look briefly at the role of environmental factors in heart health. I will explore the rational basis for the Bible's teachings on the environment. And I will look at how scientific research provides support for following God's plan. To look at the biblical ideal, we need to look right back at the beginning of our world, back to creation. We find the creation story in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And after God had created the world on the sixth day, we read about how God created people. So looking in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we read, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So here in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 to 28, we have an overall summary of how God created people. In chapter 2, we're given more details about creation in general and God's creation of people. Looking in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, we read, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we see here that God created people out of dust or dirt. And this shows us that there is a very close connection between people and nature in God's original creation. Where did God then place these people, this man that he made? And later on, we read about how he made the first woman. Where were they placed? If we have a look in verse 8, we see that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so we see from this that God placed people in a garden. And science is now revealing to us the benefits of the environment in which God placed people. In fact, there is so much scientific evidence. Today, I just want to speak briefly about a few health benefits that have been linked to natural environments. So in 1877, one of my favourite authors wrote, It is restful to eye and mind to range over the scenes of nature, over forest, hill and valley, plain and river, enjoying the endless diversity of form and colour and the beauty with which trees, shrubs and flowers are grouped in nature's garden, making it a picture of loveliness. So this quote points out, that nature promotes relaxation and reduces distress. It says right at the beginning of the quote, it is restful to eye and mind. There is a lot of peace to be found in nature according to this author. This is very important because distress is a significant factor in health conditions, including heart health. And today we are hearing a lot about how much negative stress there is in our lives, especially in Western society. So how does stress negatively impact our heart? Well, one way is through adrenaline. Stress releases adrenaline, which increases our heart rate, causes blood vessels to constrict, alters the viscosity, or in other words, the thickness of our blood, as well as its clotting properties. All of these factors drive up blood pressure, increasing the risk of heart disease or stroke. And so science is now showing that the restful scenes of nature can help to alleviate negative stress. 
What can nature do? How can it help us? Well, some of the things that help are the sounds of nature. So flowing water and birdsong have been shown to have therapeutic benefits. Tree density and vegetated settings have been shown to elicit positive emotions. Outdoor experiences can improve calmness. They can reinvigorate and rejuvenate the mind, body and spirit. They can promote feelings of safety, opportunity, connection and pleasure. Contact with nature has been shown to reduce anger, frustration and aggression. And contact with nature also increases a sense of belonging and acceptance. So from um, this research that has been done, we see that nature in itself reduces distress. Now, activity in nature confers additional benefits. We often hear about the benefits of walking for health. And if we can do that out in the fresh air, then it's um, going to obviously have health benefits that we can't obtain from working in a gym. And studies have been done specifically on gardening and it has been shown to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. So we have seen that contact with animals and plants has positive effects on health. Unfortunately though, the artificiality of the spaces in which we live has dramatically increased over the past several centuries from approximately 1750 when the Industrial Revolution began. And in highly artificial environments, we not only lose the benefits of our contact with nature, but these things that promote health are often replaced by things that actively harm health. Again, from the same author, written in 1905, I quote, The noise and excitement and confusion of the cities, their constrained and artificial life, are most wearisome and exhausting. The air laden with smoke and dust, with poisonous gases and with germs of disease is a peril to life. So let's have a look at some of these pollutants that can cause problems. And as I said, this quote was written in 1905. So since 1905, there are obviously a lot more pollutants in our environment now than what there were then. We're just going to look at one example, particulate matter. So we're looking at environmental factors in heart health and we hear today a lot about cholesterol. Now while diet associated cholesterol is a risk factor for heart disease and stroke, a review published in the Journal of Thoracic Disease in 2016 reached the conclusion that air pollution is now becoming an independent risk factor for cardiovascular illness and deaths. This review that was published in the Journal of Thoracic Disease looked at a number of different studies and it concluded in part that many studies of various types suggest that particulate matter in air pollution is strongly associated with increased cardiovascular disease such as risk of heart attacks, irregular heartbeat, blood clots or blood vessel blockages leading to stroke, blood vessel dysfunction, high blood pressure and build up of fatty materials in blood vessels or in other words atherosclerosis. Particulate matter can contribute to cardiovascular disease either directly because of the toxins it contains or indirectly as it can physically injure body tissues which increases inflammation. 
So the signs of inflammation are redness, heat and swelling, also that causes pain. Uh, Particulate matter can also lead to increased harmful free radicals in the body. And when there are more free radicals present than can be kept in balance by the antioxidants, the free radicals can start doing damage to fatty tissue, DNA and proteins in our bodies. And so they can contribute, amongst other things, to atherosclerosis. Where do these pollutants come from? Well, there are multiple sources. Uh, Probably the biggest source is various forms of combustion. So, of course, wood and products from trees can produce these pollutants. And so in late 2019 to early 2020, we've had terrible fires in Eastern Australia and the smoke from these bushfires reached unprecedented levels. And this resulted in increased particulate matter and other pollutants in the air. And during this time, the air pollution levels in Sydney, Port Macquarie and other places reached hazardous levels. And for a number of days, many days, they were the worst in the world significantly higher than other places well known for their air pollution such as um, Beijing and Delhi. Okay so it comes from combustion, from wood, from fires and things like that. Also the production and burning of fossil fuels which is obviously an ongoing thing. And so for instance in the Hunter Valley the production and burning of fossil fuels has been linked to increased rates of cancer heart, lung, liver and kidney disease as well as birth defects throughout the region. Also, in order to um, make space to create mines and things like that, what we often do is to remove the vegetation. And when we do that, that means that we have a loss of what we call ecosystem services. Ecosystem services are services provided by nature, such as the purification of air and water. And so because there is less vegetation to remove pollutants, the levels of pollutants obviously will be higher. So there are pollutants in the environment today and um, these things have a negative impact on heart health. The other aspect of heart health that we've looked at is distress. And artificial environments have been linked to distress. And so some examples of these are noise and the vibrations of machinery. Also, damage to or loss of natural environments can lead to a disease that has been called solastalgia. And this is described as the distress that is produced by environmental change impacting on people while they are directly connected to their home environment. So it's the distress of people as they see the environment in which they've been being destroyed, basically. And an example of this comes again from the hunter, from the upper hunter. So persistent drought and large scale open cut mining in the upper hunter were both linked to solastalgia in a study published in Australian Psychiatry in 2009. So from these we see that scientific evidence has clearly shown how displacement of species from their habitats has an adverse impact on their quality of life and development. So we've just looked briefly at some of the pollutants in the environment, also at artificial environments and distress. It's so sad to see these things. We can see from the biblical model of creation that we were designed to live in nature. And today, 
These green spaces in which we were designed to live are rapidly diminishing. We need to treasure and cultivate what still remains. How can we do this? I just want to mention three points today. The first point is to think about our reason for caring for the environment. I believe the first point in this is we need to recognise God's ownership. In Psalm chapter 24 verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so God has created the world. It still belongs to him, but he has entrusted to us a great responsibility. He has entrusted to us a responsibility of being stewards and taking good care of the earth. So when we think about God's great love for us and what he has done for us, I think that can motivate us to see how important it is to care for things that he's made that show what he is like and that are important to him. So then, from this first point, in thinking about how we recognise God's ownership, then the next point is naturally follows from that, which is to follow God's plan. And the law of Ten Commandments, which can be summarised as taking to give, is really the law of life for the universe. And we're seeing that much of the environmental destruction in the world today is due to greed. It's due to neglect of God's law and neglect of understanding of God's character and how he has planned for us to care for the environment. When we follow God's plan, that can help to care for the environment. And then the third point is, which is connected really to the second one, is to look for God's laws in nature and use these to manage our environment. So for instance, today we're violating many of the boundaries that God has placed in nature for our protection. Levels of greenhouse gases, chemicals, disruption of the nitrogen cycle and so forth are global factors in environmental degradation. By doing things like reducing use of pesticides, choosing sustainable products and so forth, we can work to preserve God's creation. So God has entrusted the earth to our care. Let's strive to be responsible stewards and show the blessings of obedience to his ways. Listen to Bill Ackland as he reads from his book, Talking with God. The prayer I have for you today is entitled, Bearing Life's Burdens. And the text I have to share with you along with this prayer is from Isaiah 58 verse 6. I will tell you the kind of fast I want to see in your lives. I want you to rescue people from their wicked ways to give joy in place of their sorrow, to undo the ties that keep people down and break their yoke of bondage. Let's face it, no one wants to carry a permanent burden that never seems to go away. Surprisingly, a burden shared is a burden halved, and while Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labour, and I will give you rest, in our human way, we can also lighten the burdens of others. Let us now pray. Our Father who art in heaven, I thank you that Jesus told us to cast all our burdens on him 
I don't think this means that we won't have any responsibilities to shoulder, any concerns in daily life, or any upsets that need to be resolved day by day. Rather, perhaps it means a change of attitude, from one of independence to being dependent upon Him, from a self-reliant life to one which always has you as the senior partner. I know that the one who lived the perfect life, who took upon himself the sins of the world, can surely manage my small challenges, which sometimes, to me, feel quite overwhelming. I am so glad for my Saviour's personal interest in me, that the universe is not so large, that there are not so many people in the world and every other, that he does not have time to bear this poor sinner on his heart of love. Likewise, while my burdens are lightened by him, teach me to bear one another's burdens, as he said, so that another soul who needs a helping hand knows there is someone out there who cares. Please give me the strength to do just that. In your name I pray. Amen. To obtain your copy of Talking With God, written by Bill Ackland, give us a call in Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.